Well, good evening. Good evening. Um, good to see you all here. I'm going to introduce Bill Anderson in a minute. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for coming out on a bad night. That means you want to be here, and the Lord has you here for a reason. Uh, Bill Anderson has got a resume longer than anybody I've ever introduced, so I'm not going to go through that resume except to say that Bill is currently the CEO of Metro Atlanta Recovery Residence, which is a very well-known, nationally known, well-respected rehabilitation program in the Atlanta area. Bill has been a CEO for the last 20 years for many, many different programs in the area. He has got a wealth of information and knowledge about recovery, addiction, relapse, enabling, helping, supporting. And I'm going to let Bill kind of get into that when, uh, when he comes up to speak. So he is going to talk tonight just to give you the real quick topic on when it is time to stop parenting and start supporting. So I'm going to go ahead and open the prayer, Bill, then I'm going to welcome you to the podium. Oh, by the way, Bill's got three beautiful women here with him tonight <laughs> that he will introduce at the appropriate time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for um, the courage of these people that are here tonight in this bad weather, God. And I just pray that Bill will speak through them or to them in a mighty way, Lord. Offer them words of hope and encouragement, just nuggets of wisdom, God. I thank you for his fine staff that's here tonight as well, Lord, here to support Bill. I just pray that we'll now use this time, Father, to allow him to speak to us. Pray that his words will be your words, God, and that you will be glorified through this process. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Bill, welcome up. Thank you all for letting me be here. If it's okay, I took the mask off because my plan is to hopefully stay six feet away, but I think it's better so you can hear me and be more clear. So I hope that's okay with everybody. I'm going to try to stay in this general area. I do walk around a little bit. John was being very, very kind. I think sometimes on a resume you put a lot of stuff on there that may or may not. Uh, but I do want to share a couple things that I do think are important so that you kind of have a history of my background so that um, hopefully the information I share has some weight and maybe some value. Um, but I want to start off with this. I don't know how long. I know you all have till 8.30. I'm going to try to end at 8.15 for questions. I'd rather you ask questions as we go along on any of the topics because I'm not here. I don't want to hear myself talk. I want to be of service. And if you have questions, if you have some family struggles, if there's something I can help you with, I'd rather do that than cover whatever I think I need to cover. It's more important for me to help you as any way I can and be of service while I'm here. So please, if there's something that you think is important for you, then it's important for me and I'd rather talk about that. So please interrupt me as we do that. Um, I started in 94 with a teenage shelter. So I started working with teenagers and had always envisioned myself with just working with teenagers. I struggled through my teenage years. I had a lot of rocky roads and did some things not so proud of and my mom had to intervene and get some help. So I thought that's my goal is to work with teenagers. Um, and about 99, I stumbled into the addiction field. So I had some experiences with it. Um, and I fell in love with the addiction. And so I moved from working with teenagers to working with adults who acted like teenagers. So still kind of that same ma match, but I, w I was able to do that. And I fell in love with the addiction. So in 99, I started working with Mar. I started working with Mar as just a counselor. I was a residential manager or a case manager. I was a primary counselor. I worked in the admissions department. I did a little bit of business development. And that's when um, I, in my opinion, I got a calling 
And again, from my perspective, I turned my life over to God when I was probably about 21, and I said, you got to lead me where you want me to go, and this is where I ended up, and I'm grateful and I'm blessed to this day for doing that. So in um, early 2010, 11, 12, somewhere around there, I was grateful that God called me away to be a CEO because I learned a whole lot. And in that six, seven years, I learned about the operation and financial side so I could come back to Mar. And I was blessed that the board called on me, wanted me to come back as the CEO after I'd been the CEO of several different facilities. And so I feel like I'm back at home. It's my true passion. I feel like it's my true calling. And my prayer is that God keeps me here for however long he wants me to to stay here. So that's kind of my journey back to Mar. So I was with Mar, left for a little bit, back to Mar. Through that whole time, I've done some other presentations. I've talked with other family members about struggling with teenagers, struggling with parenting, how to know when there's a problem, how when I know that there's a problem, what to do to help with that problem. So I've done a lot of presentations at different churches. I've done presentations at GAC for there. I've did a seminar on parenting there. So I've I've done all those kind of things. It usually revolves somewhere around some kind of addiction or mental health issues um, or what they may say like process addiction, gambling, sex addiction, food. Those are kind of process addictions. So I've done all that kind of stuff. Um, So I've done all those. But again, I I really find that being back at Mar. So real quickly before I go into more of the topic, I wanted real quickly since I'm talking about Mar, he was talking about, these are colleagues. I have three colleagues with me real quick. We've got Liz, who's our Director of Business Development. we got Yara Betancourt, who's our Chief Marketing Officer. And then we have Carrie, who's our um, Director of Digital Marketing. So um, thank you all for being here. They're incredible people to work with. Um, they're very passionate, and that's what we try to do at Mars. We try to hire people who are very passionate about helping others and helping people get into recovery and resolving their, their conflict. So. Thank you all again for letting me be here. I met Fair and John, I don't know what, 2011, 2010, long time ago through, through Prodigal Child Ministries and what a blessing it was to meet them. So I've stayed as much as I could in connection through my travels. I may have been displaced for a little bit, but God has a way of bringing everybody back. So um, it's an honor to, to work with such a caring um, couple and uh, an incredible program and ministry, which uh, I'm just honored just to be a part of and try to be somewhat a little bit of service. How did I come up with this topic? So Fair said, you know, can you come and talk to us? And, you know, full disclosure, I'm a parent of, of two kids. So they are 21 and 19. Um, they've had their own fair share of different things. Um, I'm not sure, you know, where they rank up. Both of them have probably some mental health issues. Uh, my daughter's diagnosed with anxiety. My son is diagnosed with depression. Uh, they're both on medications. Uh, I don't have a problem saying that. They're both currently still in therapy. Um, I think part of my kids' issues are me. They had me as a father. In the, <laughs> I guess. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But um, my daughter's in college and, and doing fairly well. She'll probably lose the hope this quarter. We just had that conversation yesterday. Uh, I can tell you about that conversation and how that went and some of my reactions. My son has decided college is not for him, and he dropped out of college. Best decision he ever made. Fully support that decision, and he is working full-time now. 
happy. He lives at home. He's tried to fly the coop twice, come back both times. So he's currently living at home and working full time. Um, but he's really actively working on his depression and he's doing a lot of wonderful things. So that's just full disclosure. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. But for me and my wife, that's kind of where I stumbled across this thing. We still run into um, um, parents um, and um, friends of ours who are still struggling with how, to, how do they know, because they want to be supportive, but they have these kids that just um, are not um, kind of um, launching or uh, growing up quickly or they're struggling and then they're, they're feeling bad because well, they're at home and they're not supposed to be and they're judging their life through other people's lives and saying, but those kids are out doing great, wonderful things and our kids are not and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was a great topic. And a lot of these, we call them kids, but a lot of these um, soon-to-be adults or young adults or whatever you want to call them, and I've got a phrase that I'm going to um, talk about that you've probably heard, emerging adults. Um, a lot of these individuals run into some kind of mental health issues, depression, anxiety. A lot of them end up with substance abuse. We see that in our current practice where we're getting, we've got a current 18-year-old in our program. We get a lot of the, our, our, our really kind of, not just niche, but where we do incredible work is probably in their late 20s and early 30s and 40s. That's where we, we do that whole range. We do an incredible job with that range. But we got some young 18-year-olds. But that's where you see them flounder. They get to that point, sometimes younger, right? Sometimes younger, sometimes older. And they don't get into They may dabble, but they don't have full-blown issues until they're later in life. So I thought, man, this is a great topic for us. But I wanted to start and think about, I'm, I'm assuming, so I'm going to ask so I just don't assume, everybody a parent in here, mostly? Okay, so my, I started thinking about this topic, and I was like, why, why did I have kids? Do y'all know why y'all had kids? I was struggling with it. Do y'all know why you had kids? Anybody want to share? Why did you have kids? <laughs> Not how, but why. Why, why, was, why? why kids? Why did you want to have kids? Is it just natural progression? Desire to... Have someone love you? Have, have someone bring them up better than you had? Right? Part of my belief was I had crappy, I had a crappy dad. I love him. He passed away, but I love him to death. But he was a bad father, really bad father. Um, but I had an incredible mother. And I wanted to do better than my dad. I wanted to prove that I was better than that. I'm not, not the only reason I had kids, but it was back there. It was back there. I don't know if I proved it, but, but I love my kids dearly. But anyway, I, I think it's good for us to reflect on why, why, why we have kids because, again, that, that says, what was the goal? Like, even after you have kids, even if you can't reflect on why you had kids, once you had kids, what did you want to do? What was your goal? Anybody want to share what's your goal for your kids? I told you mine. Mine was for me. Didn't care what they became. I wanted to do a better job with my kids, I wanted to be present, because my dad wasn't, and I wanted to be fully engaged with them. That was my goal. Anybody have, have different goals? Equip them to be successful in life. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good goal for kids, right? Equip them to be successful. Anybody else? We, uh, we adopted two older boys from Peru, and one 
Shakespeare God is uh, a believer and the other is the one that is our runaway. He's 17. Mm -hmm. So my overarching goal in our family's prayers is that the Lord would use any means short of Christian's death to bring him safely home. And yeah. my, my hope is that one day in glory I'll meet his biological parents who are deceased and Jesus will walk Christian in and say, here he is. We, right. you know, we, he didn't get away. Right. <laughs> we brought him home. We've saved him, right? So that's a goal, right? To get him there. Or have, happy, how about just having them be happy? Just be, grow up and be happy, you know? For a long time, that was our prayer for our son. We didn't really care anything else other. He was so depressed and miserable, it was hard to watch. And I, I know y'all are in the same boat watching your kids, and it's hard to watch that. So ours was like, just, just hopefully be happy, right? So though we got to think about our goals. And then how do you know if you're successful or not? How do you know if they're successful? How do you know if your goal is theirs? We know yours if he's coming back around and comes back to the Lord, right? I'm hoping my, he's, my son seems happy right now. Could be illusion. He could be lying to us. So how do I know whether I've achieved that goal? One of the problems we challenge ourselves when our own goals for our children versus what Jeremiah says right there, what is the Lord's goal for our children? Absolutely, right? We may have a vision of what our kids either are successful, what does that mean for me, versus what does the Lord want to do there with their life. One of the, the prayers we had early on was um, we wanted to do everything we could for our kids. We prayed before we had kids, and we said, we're going we're gonna to take ownership, but we want whatever your will for them is what we want to do. Is, is that's our goal is to somehow get them wherever you want them to go. It's like being good stewards. That's the way we felt of our kids. It's kind of like we're being good stewards of these human beings we were grateful to have. And so we wanted to do the best we could to get them there, right? Such as part of the journey we've had over the last 18 months is our daughter slipped off the slope and now she seems to be coming up. And she seems to have a passion for maybe this is what her career kind of like Yeah. I've been there, I've experienced it, but I have a, a desire to help others, and maybe this is my calling. And she's talking about college and psychology and her master's, and maybe she will get into this part of the business. So what we experienced, though it was tough in a trial, may actually have been a blessing. Correct. Everybody's on their own journey, right? right. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not for us to decide their journey. God has a plan, and that journey is going to happen. That's a great... Great point. So, we knowing what 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 our goals are, or what were our goals, and then how do we know that? It's it, for me, it's about reflection. You know, and I think if you're involved in in the prodigal child ministries, it's like hmm, I got to reflect. And you've probably done that. You probably had to change those goals and expectations and what they're going to become and all that kind of stuff. We did, and we had to. You know, our, we thought that our son's going to do this and whatever, and he's decided another path which we're grateful for now, we wouldn't have been grateful for a long time ago, so we had to evaluate what our goals and whether we were successful. Um, I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> all individuals, but I want to talk about, as this reflects to your children, your um, adults, or whoever they may be, is, do y'all know what epistemology is? Epistemology? So there's probably some really smart people. I had to look it up. I am not that smart. It's the study of knowledge. So basically, now there's, I think there, I want to say, I looked up, I think there's like six really kind of six 
different ways you can learn knowledge, but I've, I've narrowed it down to two, which are like kind of the two primary w ways. One is theoretical knowledge. You know what theoretical knowledge is? Like theory? Perfect, parenting books. Love that. That's right, they have parenting books. Um, are, 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 if you saw, if you had a book for how to ride a bike, it would be just that. It would be get on the bike, you put your feet on the pedals, you move the pedal forwards as you hang on to the handlebars, right? That's a very, it's a theory kind of book knowledge. And then there's empirical. What's empirical? If we have book knowledge, experience, right? So we have, those are our basic learning kind of techniques. Now again, they're, they're varied. And not everybody has one or the other. Sometimes you have both. But for my kids, what I learned was they, they had a dominant learning style. So my um, son and daughter, very different, and they both same household, very different kids. So when they were about the same age, about four or five, they got to be the height of the stove. And we had that old-fashioned, not like we have now, where you can't really tell, but you could see where the eye would get red. First thing you knew, red, it was on, it was hot. Told them both the same thing. When it's red, it's hot. Do not touch it. One kid, now they're two years apart. My son is older. He's two years apart. And my daughter, um, um, younger, I told them both the same thing. One of them believed me, never touched it. The other one said, great theory, Dad. Let me test it out and experience it. Guess which one? You have a guess which one did what? Which one? That's what, that's what everybody said. It was my daughter. My daughter is very experiential. But again, I'm going to talk about that changes over time. But she was the one. She touched it, burned three fingers. My son was like, yep, okay. I'm good with that. Won't do it. Never touched it. Never. Growing up, that was really how, how it was. She had to experience a lot of things. To this day, she's experiencing still some of those things. She's experiencing tough decisions at college. That's that hope. She was overambitious, couldn't perform, so she's learning through experience. And we learned early on that we let her have those experiences. We just kind of said, all right, this is, good. this is her style. And so we kind of acknowledged that. She switched a little bit. I mean, she does. She'll listen to her mother more than she listens to me. Um, but it's when she's ready. So what we've also learned is she'll come to us when she's ready. When she's not ready, we just kind of sit back. Well, my son was that way. So if you think about your own, is, is you've got to figure out where their dominant learning capabilities. The individuals we teach um, that we have come through our program, I talk with the parents all the time, and I say, hey, guess what? Your son or daughter, they learn through experience. Don't rob them of their experiential learning. Let them have those experiences. As painful as they may be, they're needed on whatever journey they're on, which is tough as a parent to see your, your kids struggle. That's very, very hard. And y'all know that better than I do, but it's hard to see that. But there's a journey they're on. There's an end result down here. And so the other thing I tell people now, and again, these are ones who are 18 or older. We don't do teenagers. So I know Karen does some adolescence. There's some other great programs. Uh, around the country that do adolescence. So it's a little bit different, but if they've ended up in our program and they're 18 or older, I always tell families, they never like to hear this, but I say, your parenting days are over. Your support days have just begun, right? That's where you're at. You're, you're done parenting and it's now time to support and what does that look like? It's tough to, tough to kind of know. So that's a little bit about learning different 
learning styles. Yes, sir. One thing that uh, I read in the book on Tangle, and it was enlightening to me, it was given to us by a therapist, is we've got to be careful that there's still children and we're putting adult expectations on children. And they don't become really a full functioning adult until they're 25. Yet we're at, at 16 or 17. We're trying to get them to think like an adult, act like an adult, and be experiencing things so they ought to be more mature to move forward. Mm-hmm. They're still a child and still growing. That's true because, the, the, again, we know that that's why insurance, com- um, not just insurance companies, but rental cars, 25. Your brain is still maturing all the way up until 25. The only thing I would say, just to challenge a little bit, and the, one of the things that we did early on is, again, I, I, I don't know where in my career, but I started listening to parenting stuff, but I would listen to the things that would hit home. And it's like, I was going to get to this, but it's about language. This ties into what you're saying, so I'm going to get there, but it's about language. We're, we, it says raising kids. We're not raising kids. They have to be children and kids. We're raising adults, right? Our goal is to get them to adulthood. And so when that concept hit me, I think my kids were probably 10 or 11. It was right at that age. We're talking about cell phones. It was right at that age where 11, we were like, okay, one of them can stay home for X amount of time by themselves. It was right around that time. And we started thinking, how do we teach them and prepare them for adulthood? And it was about making choices. So what we started introducing were choices. You have choice A, you have choice B. That's what adults have, right? I can speed, chances of getting ticket, or I can go under the speed limit, probably not gonna get it, it's a choice. So we started teaching them choices, which is, are what adults do. So not expecting them to be adults, but teaching them, hey, when you're, and, and then whatever choices they make, they get the consequences of whatever those choices are. So we learned a lot of that stuff. But I think you're right in the sense that we sometimes have those high expectations, but then the flip side of that, I mean, I've, I'm working with some families sometimes that don't allow them to make any decisions where they're making all the decisions, and that can be just as damaging when you go to those extremes. I wasn't necessarily advocating that. I'm just saying is that we allow them to make mistakes, but, yep. we, but we can sometimes confront them with their mistakes. Absolutely. And they need to learn from their mistakes. Absolutely. It's um, like having boundaries, right? The expectation is that you hold your grades up or the expectation is you come home on time or the expectation is that you do whatever the chore list or whatever may be. And then if you don't, you know, here are the consequences. And, I, and when I did these classes, it was always about just matter of fact consequences. But a lot of times parents, and I know I'm one of them, I'm hot-headed. It's like if I can just show them how angry I am, they'll see it and they'll do different. That didn't work with my kids, especially my son. So the, the guy that was theory knowledge, we stopped spanking him when he was, and I did at the time, you know, I was spanked when I was a kid and I thought this is the way we should do it. I think he was four years old. And I went in there and I spanked him, didn't flinch. He was like, I mean, it was like flat effect. It had more of an impact on me, didn't change his behavior, didn't help him a bit, and I looked at my wife and I said, I'm never gonna touch him again like that, ever again. But he was one of those ones, and I thought if he could just know my emotional content. So we changed and it was just, it was just straight, if you do this, here's what's gonna happen. There was no emotional content to it whatsoever. There was no, there was no weight, because sometimes we think if they know the weight, and so it's just a matter of fact, here's what it is, okay, you did it. So that was, that was 
to your point, you're right. You know, just kind of have to do those kind of things. But those learning styles, they change over time. So as you can imagine, my son has moved more to the experiential side. So he's experiencing more of those things. He was desperate to move out on his own. So at the time, we were living in Arizona. He said, as soon as I graduate, I'm moving out. I'm, leaving, I'm moving along. We're in Arizona. He wanted to come back to Georgia. I kid you not. The day after he graduated, we were on a plane back to Atlanta, getting him set up into an apartment in Atlanta all by himself because he was dead set on doing this. It didn't work out so well. But he had experienced that. That was his experience of trying to do that kind of stuff. So it changes over time. It fluctuates. My daughter's a lot more. She still does that learning style. But for whatever reason, she's a lot more open, again, to my wife talking to her about some things. And I can hear them talk, and they ignore me all the time, which is probably smart. And I'm listening to them. And it's just a, a good dialogue for doing that. So it changes over time. It's difficult to predict when that's going to change. It's not like you can guess. It's just going to fluctuate. And it's like figuring that all on your own. Um, and then there's other factors. I'm going to talk about a couple of them. Social, right? Our, our, our kids or our adults, whatever we're going to call them, there is a social impact that we will never have. There's a parental impact, but there's friendships, there's relationships, there's this society out there that will have an impact. There's um, technology, social apps, Instagram, Facebook, and we talked a little bit about that. They are strongly influenced by technology. We're in a different era, completely different era. It's foreign to me. I dabble in it, but I, I can't even get used to it. But this is what they've grown up with. You know, my kids got a cell phone at the age of 11 and 12, and we said it's out of safety. It didn't matter whether it was out of safety or not. They didn't care. They had access to the social media stuff, and it's changed them and has evolved them. And as y'all can see, even through COVID, I mean, there's so much technology that influences how they operate, influences their relationships, and how they find partners and um, almost everything. So there's that component to how they learn and how they change. Um, there's environmental factors. COVID is a big environmental factor. Who knew? But that's changing not just their lives, it's changing our lives and how we socialize, how we work, how we commute, how we travel. It's changing a lot of things. I think the um, teenagers and the early 20s who are going through the COVID right now are going to be so much different than we, we ever were. I mean, it's just going to impact their ability for jobs, for careers, for retirement. We don't even know the full impact. So there's huge environmental changes with with how they're doing that stuff. And then there's financial changes. As finances, whether the, it ebbs and flows, as people lose jobs, as the money is not available, as, as um, maybe the jobs out there, you know, most of the um, kids nowadays when they're graduating college are not even into the job, they, the college they went through for, the jobs they're finding are not even related. So there's gonna be so much financial changes. So there's a lot of these factors going in there. Uh, I wanna talk about transformative years a little bit. That's what I was talking about, that emerging adult thing. Have y'all heard of Jeffrey Jensen Arnett? In the early 2000s, he did a lot of research on what, what he called, he kind of captured that phrase, emerging adult. So if you, you hear that, he captured that in the early 2000s, 2000, 2001, wrote several books on it. I encourage you to look it up, it's really good. It's called, anything he does is usually about emerging adults. And there's three, there are three phases to the emerging adult and they have kind of a general age around it. The first one is launching, right? 
and launching became popular, it's still there. It's like, do the kids launch? That's 18 to 22 launching. And then there's um, exploring, which is 22 to 26. They're exploring identity, finding themselves. And then supposedly landing is 26 to 29. I don't know, this is all his emerging. But I like the phrase of emerging adult. Emerging adult because it kind of connected with we're trying to teach adults to get up there, right? So I wanted kind of that background as we talk about that. Um, and then I talked about our language. You know, even to this day, my wife and all, we still call them kids. And I'm like, every time I say it, I have this little bit of a cringe because they're not. They're adults, whether we like it or not. You know, my daughter makes, she goes, you know, I can do whatever I want. And I go, eh, maybe. But she'll argue with me. I go, you could if you don't want any of my money. You could do whatever you wanted. I said, but if you want my money, like college and stuff, eh, you're, you know, you have to do a little bit of what I say. But she'll argue with me, and I'll, I'll just leave, and I'll go, okay. See you later. Go. She won't, but... But again, it's still that I get caught up in that language. They are adults. And so I think if we can change our language about it, we can do that. So again, I, I, I encourage you to, to think about that. All right. So I kind of give all that to get to these last two points, which is parenting and supporting. How do we know we're there? How do we know when we shift from parenting to supporting? And I'll, I'll, I'll say this caveat. I guarantee you I am not right about everything. And I'm not going to stand up here and say I'm right. Everybody has a different opinion. So what I say may not fit for you, and this is not across the board. So I'm going to share my perspective and my visions and my views. But it doesn't mean that your opinion and views aren't right for you. So I just want you to be aware of that. I'm not acting like I know what's best for your family. But parenting supporting. When you're getting around the age of 15, 16, 17, you're doing a lot less parenting than you think. It feels like you're doing a whole lot and you want to keep doing it. But they're in that, they're, from my perspective, they're in that testing the boundaries part, right? They're in the um, where, where can I get and do whatever I want? I think you had said it well. It's like 16, 17 going on 30, right? They want to be that adult. And it's kind of like how do we, how do we let them touch the hot plate? And then maybe they have to touch it five or six times. How do we allow them to do that without it impacting us? How do we keep, keep some semblance of control? I like that you said that control. The reality is we don't, right? We just don't. We, we, we like the illusion. My daughter could take off and not need any of my money. If she chose, so choose, she could not take. She could move in with a guy or a girl or whoever she wanted to. She could not take my money. She could work on her own. I really don't have any control over that, right? I mean, in theory, I really don't. And so in that 15, 16, 17, it's kind of like recognizing, all right, that's where I'm going. Because in three year, one year your daughter's 18. Who else, who else has teenagers here versus 20s? Teenagers, what are the rough ages of them? 16 and 18. 16 and 18? 16 and 18. 18. Anybody else? 19. 19, close. Well, you're still a teenager. Are they still in the home? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 20s, 30s? Adults? 30s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, around that age, is they're, they're deciding and making some of those or trying to make some of those adult decisions. And the balance is, 
how do I, how do I shift what I thought I'm, I've got to be a parent until X amount of time versus how do I really kind of, if my goal is to have them healthy adults or happy adults, that's really my goal is happy adults. How do I get them there and how do I shift a little bit even in that teenage years to being more of a support? Knowing their learning style, maybe they need that experiment and they got to touch the hot plate. How do I do that? But yet keep my own kind of uh, mental health. So when we talk, we do fancy words like boundaries. You know what boundaries really are? It's about what, where can I set the line so I'm not impacted anymore emotionally? That's why I don't want to be impacted anymore emotionally. Like I'm tired of feeling frustrated. I'm tired of being angry. I'm trying to get them to do this. They're resistant to do this. How do I set up some kind of a line so I can stop being impacted emotionally? That's really what boundaries are. It's like, all right, you can do this up into this point, then I don't want it to impact me. And kind of letting go of that, setting that guidelines. And if they cross the line, you give out the consequences and move on and let them do that. So you're in that area when you're 15 or above. If you're in that area of 18, 19, 20, you're there. It's about being a support because the reality is you don't have any control. You've lost all that control. And you really don't want to control their lives anyway. You just want to do the best opportunity. So how do you shift that? How do you think you shift from being a parent and parenting? You'll always be a parent, but you got to shift from parenting to supporting. What does supporting look like? you have any ideas of what supporting looks like? What does support look like? Yeah, allowing them to fail, right? What else? Stay in my lane. Absolutely. Stay in your lane, which is very, very hard to do. I have a hard time staying in my lane, right? What else? Encouraging them. Encouraging them, yep. Encourage is a great word. Encourage looks different than being told, right? Because encourage means they can do whatever they're going to do. You're encouraging them to do option A, but if they choose option B, well, that's okay. See what happens. I'm good with that. I'm just encouraging to do this. But whatever you decide is up to you. What else? I say give advice when asked. Parents always want to give advice. Our children don't always want to hear it. But our vision is, I've been there. I've done that. Just learn from me. They don't really care. They could care less. Be okay with that. Accept that. Like, be fine with that. They don't care that you've had a tough life and that you know all these answers. Maybe they want to figure it out on their own. But if they ask, give it to them. If they don't ask, keep it to yourself. I would struggle with teaching. Yeah. You still want to teach. Yep. And, and, and I'm not trying to be cold, and I, and I promise, and I apologize. I'm not here to step on any toes. But for your daughter, you can't teach her anything. And, and, and so I'm sure she's a lovely lady. She's, she's on her own course. Doesn't mean you can't have boundaries. I've, I'm never going to say you can't have boundaries. It's your household. We always had boundaries in our household. And there were things like, hey, that's okay. I would I, I'd tell my son, you don't have to live here. You don't. But to live here, here's the line. All you have to do is apply this. If you decide you don't want to apply with us, man, be free, go do what you want. This is just a line, no feelings or emotions. But yeah, you, you, they probably don't, she may or may not want to learn, I don't know. 
But we got to get past that. It's, that's not our job anymore. Our job is to support if they're struggling in that area. And it shifts right around there. It's around that time. And again, there's no definitive time. I don't know when that is. For every person, it's different. It depends on a lot of these other things I said, their learning styles and where they're at. Um, and at some point, 19, 20, 21, in this emerging adult scheme, maybe we become friends. What, is, what do friends look like with your adults? What does it look like? Your adult children, your emerging adult. What does friends, being friends, look like? Even for an 18-year-old. Probably a mutual pretty respect. Pretty close. Yeah, mutual respect. Absolutely, right? Which is what an adult wants. They just want to be respected. So showing that respect, but still having whatever boundaries you, you need, but being respectful of their um, whatever they do. We had, a, we had an interesting conversation. So we have this dog who's probably 14 years old, and my kids kind of don't have to mess with it, and, and me and my wife do. My daughter's gone. My son's working all the time. Um, so we have to deal with this dog, and we were like, hey, it's had pancreatitis twice. It costs us a lot of money. We're thinking about putting it down. So we talked with a family, and my daughter and my son are adamant they're against it and I'm like well it's, it's our household it's my money and and I started to think about it so I'm glad you said mutual respect I started to think about it they're both adults we're a family of four why does mine and my wife's opinion weigh more than them yes I'm financially supporting that but if I think they're a part of that family I need to respect that decision I went back to them and I said you're right Y'all don't want it. We'll wait till we have a quorum, an agreement. We can manage this. This wouldn't be a big deal. But it was mutual respect. Mm -hmm. Wasn't an easy decision because, again, I'm thinking one way, and I always think I'm right. <laughs> I'm not always right. I just think it in my head. So we, we did that. So that's a good one. What else does friends look like? Mutual, mutual respect. What else? Friends. What does friends look like? There are. Absolutely, there's boundaries between friends. Right? Still can't cross whatever line that is, right? Can't can't get into my personal space. So there's still boundaries. I think with friends you can share opinions. Correct. You may share your opinion, right? Hey, when I was this, this is what I did. And then not have an expectation that they're gonna ask more questions about it or even find it interesting. <laughs> Right? I mean, they may say, yeah, yeah, whatever. Be okay with that because that's what friends do. Sometimes they don't hear what you say. And guess what? It's okay. Like even if you're trying to help and they don't want to hear it, just be okay with it. But yeah, friends do give opinions. A lot of times um, they'll hear that other friend who says, I don't want your opinion. You go, okay, fair enough. Good point. As adults, we typically try to find friends who nurture us for multiple mm -hmm. reasons. Mm -hmm. So like you say, hiking. Mm -hmm. Your children may not like hiking, but you could join a hiking group that likes hiking mm -hmm. and nurture that part of it. Correct. So there's different friends that do different things for you. Absolutely. Right. I have a friend that I play golf with, and then I have a friend who does not like golf, but we have some other commonalities, right? They can do that. Or even find commonalities in the family. So um, my family, for whatever reason, I found, I stumbled onto this, I like food. So when we go to places, I found that I like to pick 
really good restaurants and I find that they find it interesting that I like to pick out good restaurants and so we have this kind of mutual connection. I try to find really good restaurants out of the way, dives, holes that have good food and they like to eat it. So it's kind of a mutual thing. So we found something as a family. Now there's a lot of times like, man, when they're home sometimes, y'all probably relate to this. I'm kidding you not, I'm sitting in the kitchen with me and my wife and we're thinking, he's upstairs on the video, whatever he's doing on his thing. She's in, she's in her room on her phone. I'm like, I know we have kids somewhere out here. They're, they're around, I can hear them. But, so we just find commonalities and let them have their own whatever time and kind of take them at their pace. That's what friends do, right? Friends take other friends at their own pace. We don't make, them, we don't make our kids have family time. I mean, if they want to come down and hang with us, but there's no requirement because that's, they'll come down when they feel like it. Anything else friends do? Parenting, supporting? Friends want the best for you. Right. They do. A true friend. Right. They always want the best for you. Yeah. And we want the best for our kids, right? But sometimes what we want for them doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just letting them flounder through all that stuff. The last kind of topic I want to talk about is, and I know some of you are either there or have been there, what if they stop thriving? How do you address that? Stop thriving, right? We, um, at our program, we do a um, three-day workshop for all of our um, families. So if their loved one has come into our program, we do a three-day family workshop. It's educational in nature, but a lot of therapy lots of therapy in that three-day workshop and get some family one-on-one time and about um, eight nine years ago about the same time I, I met um, Fair and John we thought what about people in the community that are struggling parents that are struggling that their loved one hasn't ended up there but they're not thriving they have some abuse issues they have mental health issues they have behavioral issues what about those families? So we created a um, one-day workshop, um, workshop called Loving Someone with Addiction. We still continue that um, through this day. I think we do it quarterly. Our next one is in May. Um, March. March. Next one is in March. I think we do it quarterly. Mm -hmm. Do it quarterly. It's a one-day workshop. It's an incredible workshop. But the reason I say that is because it's for parents whose children are, have stopped thriving. Maybe they got stuck in the launching. Maybe they got stuck in the exploring. Maybe they got stuck in the um, landing and they never landed, right? You call that uh, addiction program? Why, why is addiction connected to thriving? Maybe I misunderstood. No, we, we call it one, it's a workshop. The workshop is called Loving Someone with Addiction. But again, you can supplant that addiction with any mental health okay. behavioral issues the content is usually the same. The only caveat is because we're an addiction treatment program, that's our specialty. So there is a piece in there that talks about substance abuse disorders. But the main crux of it is educating um, families on those words, enabling, boundaries, rescuing. How do they move from parenting to support and what does that look like? And again, support is a fancy way of saying just that same thing. We've got to stop enabling. We've got to be a more of a support. We've got to hold healthy boundaries, those kind of things. And that's for anybody that's not thriving, right? And then the tough part is if they're adults, what do you have to let, let them do if they're not thriving? 
and they're adults. You, they, they just, yeah, they fall. They hit, they hit hard. That's the tough thing is when you've got it that over that, that 18, 19 year old, we've got an 18 year old who's been through three or four treatments in our program. Well, that's tough. It's tough for the parents to realize that their parenting days are long over, that there's nothing they can do as far as parents go, but they can support her. There's a difference. So how do you know what to do when they stop thriving? And then, so what are the, some of the reasons? So substance abuse is one. They start dabbling in drugs. What's some other reasons they stop thriving? Mental health issues. Mental health issues, depression, anxiety, right? That was our son, depression. Yeah, yeah, start pulling away. Um, our son was very isolative, depression, stopped doing a lot of things, you know, in his room all the time. So yeah, they stop, they withdraw depression. What else? How else do they know? What about no work, no school, quit school, drop out of school? No intentions, no nothing, right? We know they're not thriving. Right? So then what do we do? What is our next action when we recognize there's no thrivings? What's next? What steps do you take? How can you be supportive? Huh? Absolutely. And how do you do that? So let's just say you've got two categories. The under the 18 that are living in your house. And so you've got this. And then you've got the adult ones. So the ones who are still living in your house, how do you do that? You're recognizing they're not thriving. You want them to get help. How do you do that? Well, we know what John Affair did, right? That's one way, right? That's a solution. That was about them, about a boundary in their life, right? This is not working for us. It wasn't about them, like him being successful and going to college. It was like, this is not working for us any longer, this household dynamic. We want you to get help, but you can't, you can't do it here. And he wasn't an adult at the time, right? He was not 18. So some responsibility. So that's one way. What's another way? Not thriving. What do you do next? What do your boundaries look like if they're not? You said 16 and 18? Who's not thriving? 16 year old? 18. 18? Yeah, he just got out of the mental hospital for a week. Tried to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's your next step on that? How are I just keep trying to encourage him. Mm-hmm. I'll walk through things yeah. with him and like he um he was working and he was supposed to get a paycheck and he didn't get it mm-hmm. and so we looked up the <coughs> number together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I just looked yeah, it yeah. up and gave it to him. We sure. You're supporting him. Yeah. Yeah, and figure out what where he needs to go and but um yeah, but he doesn't want to follow through so it's it's hard. Yeah. I don't want to go get the check and uh, Yeah. But that's good. So helping him do that is, is very supportive. Yeah. And Letting him go get it and is he's he makes a commitment. He says, like, I'm gonna get a job by the end of February. I'm like, Okay, I'm gonna hold you to that. Mm-hmm. You know, let um let let's look at where you wanna work. Let you know, I mean mm-hmm. let's let's do that. So I yeah, I just try to do that with him. Yeah. So it's just being supportive. Mm-hmm. How else are you supportive if they're not thriving? What's your next, what's the next step? What can you do? You don't have to kick them out. 
I mean, again, the, the, so there are some extremes. There may be a, oh, a time sure. where, like, some someone's bringing stuff into the household. Yeah. Well, you can't. You unfortunately, can't be here anymore. You can't bring some illegal stuff in the house. But it may be some other boundaries to set. You talked about um, he agreed to get a job. What was the point of the job for? So that he's out of the house, or did you need him to pay for something? Just, just to both. contribute. Well, yeah. Right, so it's about finding what what you think is next. So I'm gonna I'll, I'll throw in an example. And this is I'm not telling okay. you what to do. It's just an example. So if he's agreed to get a job or whatever, right? There's something else that goes with the job. Job is just one thing. Right. It's like, hey, you're 18. Is he in high school or has decided just to be done with school? Done with school. Okay, not a problem. That's your choice to be done. You're 18. You can do those things. To be in this household, you have to contribute to your cell phone. Does he have a cell phone? Yes. You have to contribute X amount of dollars to your cell phone. That's going to be starting in X month. Just want you to know that. So that's going to be three months down the road. I want you to do, we're setting this limit. Would love you to have a job to do that, to contribute $20. If you don't, you don't have a cell phone. You'll have to find a cell phone on your own, but to be in the household, here's what I need you to do. Because you're not going to school. Right. It's like your your options are school or work. That was our that was our that was our options with our son. It was like, hey, but he had a job before he dropped out. So we knew. But it's like you can't you gotta do something. That's the expectation. It's like right. I don't care right. what it is. Right. That I don't want to control. But you gotta do something because you gotta be a part of the family. So it's about how are you a part of the family? Because it's not about him. It's your, we're giving you something, what are you giving us? That's that mutual respect. Okay. That's that friends. Like my friends don't yell at me. My friends don't cuss at me, right? right? right. So I don't, I don't let my, but I also apologize to my kids if I do something wrong. Right. Because if I've done something wrong, I need to apologize because that wasn't right. Like I can't yell at them. I have, if I've yelled at them, I go back, I go, you're right. I'm, I should not have yelled at you, that was not appropriate. But that, I would start thinking, that's not something you have to do, but think along those lines. That's just a boundary for being in the household, you know? Y'all have got some boundaries with, there's nothing wrong with boundaries and expectations. The difference is you have to be very clear on the boundaries and very clear on the expectations and take the emotional content out of it. Right. And then when they don't follow that, don't get angry they didn't follow it. When he doesn't get a job in three months and can't pay that bill, don't get angry about it. Just say, man, I hate that for you. Where's your cell phone? It's just follow through. It's just a matter of fact. When you get a job, we'll give you the cell phone back. It's the agreement. I mean, he may go get a cell phone. I don't know how he's going to get the money, but maybe there's another way. But that's a choice he's he's making. I'm not saying I encourage that, but we can't be so fearful. So I'll give you another example. So my son's got this full-time job, and this was my wife and I talked about it. I said, you know what he's going to say, but we said he, he, he got a job. He's making pretty good money. So he's 21. He dropped out of college, and he got a job. Now, he had it for a year before they offered him the full-time job. He's making pretty good money. So he told me how much he's making. We, my wife and I talked about it, and we said, hey, we're done paying for everything right like the only thing we're going to continue is your insurance your car insurance we're going to continue that other than that 
you have to pay for everything else you're making to live in. You know what the first thing he said after I told him that? I'm done with therapy. I don't want to have to pay for it on my own. And we knew he was going to say it. We knew that was going to say that he's going to stop paying because it can be expensive. We're not using insurance and it can be expensive. And as soon as I said it, that was the first thing he said. And you know what my wife wanted to do? Pay for it. She said, why don't we pay for it? I said, looked at her and she goes, I know. (laughs) I know. Can't pay for it. Whether he threatens it or not, it's not our decision to make. We stick with our boundaries. I want to pay for it, but I'm not going to pay for it. There's a difference between wanting to and not going to. I can, do a, I can want to do a lot of things and not do them. But it's a boundary we had. We made that decision. It was the right decision. We're going to stick with it. He'll go back. We sometimes struggle with using the phone as a constant consequence. Yeah. We have a 15-year-old who is doing pretty good grades. Mm-hmm. That's yep. one big issue. But we kind of struggle with is it related to the grades all that? Mm-hmm. And we struggle with are we manipulating them with money mm-hmm. versus consequences stuff? So what kind of perspective do you have? On the on the on the first part, not about um, the money, because you know there is a need for different things as far as money, um, but as far as grades in the phone, I don't know if there's a time. But what what we did with um, kids in general is we talk about we would in, encourage them, or talk to them about, hey, here's where we're seeing the grades. What do you think's impacting that? Like, why are your grades? What do you think your grades are down? We can sit here and speculate. It's the phone, not doing homework, not motivated. Why do you think your grades are down? Let them have the input of what they think are, their grades are down. I don't spend enough time on schoolwork. I don't follow up with a teacher. Then you, then you set those expectations, whatever that is. It's like, I don't do spend enough. Excellent. All right, enough time. So what we're going to do is you're required to spend X amount of time. Once your grades get up, you can decrease that time to spend on there. So you're inviting them into the negotiation. If they say it's because I'm too much on the phone, say, excellent. What we're going to do is limit your phone time. And that was it. This is sad. And I don't know if, I don't think it's good. So I'm not saying as a bragging piece. We did not have any issues with the phone except for one time with both our kids. So we had a limit that at 9 o'clock the phones were off. 9 o'clock no matter what. This is when they were growing up. Not when they became 15, 16, 17. This is from age 11 to about 15 for those four years. We said no phones after 9 o'clock. Both of them broke that rule one time, each of them. And we took the phone away for two weeks. So they had no phone for two weeks except for if they were in the home. But they had no phone at two weeks. They would give them to us and we held on to them. Never had another issue with it. I don't know if that's good or bad. But there are certain things. What we try to do is tie the consequences to it. So if they're abusing the phone, we take away the phone. If it's grades, it's something else. We try not to connect things that don't connect. So try to connect things that connect with school. So if it's school, it's extracurricular activities that are not like, like the only thing when, when we, when, if we ever grounded, which I don't think we did any grounding, church was like, you can go to church all day long. We were never going to take away church. Never did we take away church as a consequence because it didn't tie to anything. It's a great 
opportunity for kids, for a spiritual outlet, for friends or whatever. But we may take away some other, like go on down to the park with your friends and go and skating. Well, your grades aren't demonstrating that you need that. Sounds like you need more study time. So just try to find some stuff like that. We gave allowance and our allowance was very small, but it was, it was never tied to anything. It was like we knew they had to have this and we just gave it to them. Just if they were doing everything they needed to be doing, they earned that money. Like I think it was like doing the dishes, walking the dog. It was for whatever they're doing. It was reward, but they were doing the things. If they didn't do them, they didn't get it because they didn't do the work. But every family's different. That's just how we did it. Um, but I think it's okay rewarding when they're doing some positive behaviors that are like helping the household. If they're doing chores, I think that's an okay thing. Um, or if they need money to go out for whatever reason. I mean, it just depends on what it is. But if there are consequences, make sure they're tied together. Does that help at all? It's in the ballpark? It's in the field? It's in the. <laughs> But that's right. But that. But again, you can always limit. You don't take away the phone, but you can always limit it. Say, listen. We're I, at the point where we're just going to take it for two hours while he studies, and then let him have three. Perfect. We did. Um, and the other thing that we did, we did seven to eight was homework time, and then no phones, no TV, everything that turned off. And they're like, we didn't have any homework, and we're like, great, you can read. The TV, the TV's not coming on just because you don't have any homework. Seven to eight. We did that for a couple years. We also learned with our son, we had to do, he was, oh my goodness, he was so emotional from the age of four when that was like, all the way till 12 or 13. I mean, just out of control. I'm telling you, he would go in his room. He would trash the room. It was, I don't know how many different levels we went through with our kids. We would do one level system and it would work for about six months. Stop working. We did some new system and it would work for about six months. And then we just have to, we just kept switching stuff. And I think it's okay for parents to recognize kids evolve and change and what, what works now doesn't. I think that's an okay thing, it's okay. The biggest thing is taking away the emotional content with it. There's no emotion tied with their improved behavior. You can't go up and down, get angry and sad and all this. It's just flatlined. That's what they're wanting to do. They're trying to provoke. Don't let them provoke. Just set the boundary, move on. I don't mean you have to be mean to them. I mean, if you're in a good mood, be in a good mood. And don't let their emotional content impact you. Don't let their being down make you down. Don't, don't you know, be, let them be their own person. And that was hard for us, but we did. We, we thrived through it. My wife would go, man, he's just so down. It's irritating. And I was like, we're okay. We're, we're doing good. Um, she would get frustrated at his depression. And internally, I would be sad, and I know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, men, men are waffles, women, women are spaghetti, right? And I am, I can compartmentalize just like any man. But I think there's a good piece of that, that that everybody can do. It's okay to compartmentalize and say, I don't have to let their emotions be my emotions. Please learn how to let you have separate emotions and learn that they're gonna go through their own life experiences. But if you can just be even keel, and just do what you think is best. I think it's okay that you have to set consequences and boundaries. Just keep it up, be consistent, and then if you need to change, change. If it's no longer the phone and it's TV or social media or something, I don't know what, don't be okay with changing and evolving. Can you even use those leverages for an older adult, older 
whole, it's totally different. Uh, depending on if you're paying for, like our son, we're paying for his insurance. Um, he's about to move off our phone. We were paying for his therapy. So it's, it just depends on what, where you're leverage as your child at home. So there's some, I mean, living at home. So part of that is, hey, if you're not in school, or the, is he in school, she in school? That's, but that's the expectation. You're in school or you're working. So school's a good thing. And with school, not only do we pay for that, you get to eat the food and do those kind of things. So I think it just depends on a person. We didn't have any expectations. So for the longest time while my son was depressed, I mean, he would, he went to work. He was going to school, which he was miserable at. Um, he chose on his own to do therapy. We did not make therapy a requirement. There was just no way for us to do it. He was an adult. I mean, he, we, he chose to do it, and I'm glad he did. We said, if you ever want to, we'll pay for it. Um, but he would, when he'd come home, to this day, he's gotten better. He'll eat dinner with us now, but he still goes up to his room and chills out on video games. He's had one girlfriend his whole life. You know, that's it. Broke his heart. That was it. He never had another date. Right? Just one time. Yeah. Ours is just turned 17. And on the way here, we were discussing the legal requirements versus social. Like, we still are seven. He's out of the house. And we're trying to figure that out his responsibilities and where where we coach him instead of parent but it's he's we've been told that at 17 he's technically emancipated treated as, mm-hmm. a, as an adult mm-hmm. so can you speak to that son to clarify that i think it's in, john will know m- more but i think it's an emancipated emancipated adult especially at that age i mean you can go through the legal process and do it but i think if they're living on their own this there's not a whole lot to do. Probably be considered an emancipated mm-hmm. young adult because he's 17. Is he is he paying for his own keep or is he paying for his? We just stopped at 17. Yeah. The situation was that he ran away. Yeah. A well-meaning family mm-hmm. member intervened. Yep. And has provided a place for him to stay. Yep. And we have a huge family uproar because yeah, now he's not. He hasn't faced any of the consequences mm-hmm. of running away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were very prepared and prayed for a long time and prepared for a long time for that event. Mm-hmm. And then someone swooped in to save him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's created this huge... Yeah. It, it went from being a problem with our you know, our marriage and our son to an extended family problem. Right. But we're trying to be faithful him show him that we love him but we're not you know we let him know at 18 we provide for you in our home we're not providing for you over there correct and I think that's healthy and good that you stick with those things so my we have a lot of families who they want to have that relationship with their adult kids um, but they also know that they can't have the unhealthy behavior in their home and so I say you don't have to let them in your home that's a that's an okay boundary it's an okay boundary if you want your and say you have to move out that's an okay boundary it happens for some people so for you I think that's an okay boundary but you can always say hey but if you ever want to go to dinner or if you want to come over for dinner and hang out you're more than welcome to do that you just can't live with us until you do 
whatever it may be. Um, the other piece that I would share with you is, you know, we talked about this in the beginning. Everybody's got their own journey. I don't know what his is like, but maybe this is a journey to get there, and maybe it's not for two to three years. My um, sister, her daughter did the exact same thing, except she waited till she was 18. So she graduated, and the day she, gra uh, not graduated, she waited till the day she turned 18, she, 18, she moved in with her girlfriend. Left completely, no contact with my sister and, and them, and, but their line is, and she had their, their car. She said, they're like, you gotta bring the car back. Like, sorry, but it goes along with this. And she did. She brought the car back. Now they have an okay relationship. They'll go to dinner every now and then. Every now and then she'll bring her girlfriend over and they'll have dinner. They won't let her live with her unless she works or goes to school, which she's not doing either one. But that's their boundary. You have to do one or the other. If you wanted to come back, it's one of the two. Then you could come back home. And she's like, no, I'm good living over here and this. And they're like, that's okay. But you're not getting any financial support from us. And... She's like, I don't need it. And you're like, okay. And they go to dinner, and she's actually been over to our house, and we've had some family events. She's sweet as Bob, but she's, she's her own person. She wants to live her own life. And that's hard for parents to see that, and it can be painful. I don't think it's an affront against y'all. It's whatever he's going through. It's not against you. But it feels like it's against you, but it's probably not. Yes. I think that's partly true, but he said for years, I'm going to run away, change my name back yep. to before the adoption and never have anything else to do with you. So, you know, <laughs> it's hard not to take it personally, but I understand it's his, Correct. his journey. And that's where it's, and again, and I'm not trying to simplify it, it's easier for like someone like me who can hear that and say, it's not about you, but as a parent, it's hard not to hear that. But my son, and I had to work through my own stuff, when he left Arizona to come back here, he told me point blank is because you moved me out here and you've ruined my life. You moved me from Atlanta to Arizona in the midst. I was, he was 15 when I did that. And he left a lot of friends. And he, he told me that's why I did it. He came to me, I don't know, six, seven months ago and apologized. He said, it wasn't about you. It's what I needed for whatever reason. I shouldn't have said those things. It took him a while to get there. I mean, he's 21 now. That's six years. I guarantee you it's not about you. I guarantee it. I, I know you can't hear that, but at some point, hopefully, you'll feel that. It's his stuff. It's his journey. Your daughter's not against you. She may direct it at you. It's not you. It's her own stuff. She's trying to figure out everything that's going on with her, and it's all these emotions and these changes and all that stuff, and it's aimed at you because... She loves you, and you're the easiest person for her to take that out on. <laughs> my wife, oh my goodness, she can, she can hide her feelings from everybody, her, her parents. She won't hide her feelings with me. When she's angry with me, she lets me know it. When I've messed up, she lets me know it. She won't do that to anybody else. I know it's because she feels the safest with me. It's not against me. She loves me very much. But she feels so safe with me, she can let all those emotions out. And I'm good with that. They love you so much, you're going to see all that full deal. It doesn't feel that way. But that's the truth. And you've got to learn how to just internalize it. They may or may not come to that resolution. And that's okay. Because we didn't bring them into this world for us, right? We wanted to raise good. We turned them over to God. 
we want God to take that. So that would be the other thing is realize that you've done everything that you can. God's got them from someplace. God's looking down. That great. That was a great beginning. That was a great segue into what we're doing. Is that control thing? Great question. Now, did that help at all? A little bit. The the family dynamics. I don't know. That that just comes with a lot of prayer. I think that would be tough. That would be tough. Yeah. Yeah. We were in family therapy, and they say he has ODD, headed up to borderline sociopath. Yeah. Horrible last yeah, year, yeah, yeah. but the family has said it's our fault <laughs> because of our parenting. So <laughs> you know that's just yeah. brutal. I I I I can't imagine that's any anywhere the case. I again, there are so many factors on mental health diagnosis. You know, if if people want to say my daughter has anxiety because of me, I'm 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 okay with that. I don't think that's the case. There's so many other factors. And I think it's a blessing in, di- in disguise because she's so learned so many tools through her anxiety. So I'm like, okay, maybe I helped her out in life. If I caused her anxiety, maybe I helped her out. But it's not, y'all. Y'all didn't do. Parents just try their best. I think COVID has had a oh, major yeah. impact. Absolutely. My daughter, like, she first time she's done anything social in over a year. And she goes with a group of kids to a golf place, top golf. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she comes back, and the one boy that really likes the girl doesn't, the girl doesn't like him, and they're not telling him. And so she goes off and tells the yeah. boy, she doesn't even like you, you know? And so there's this big uproar. And now, now she has, the, I have no friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And she just feels so isolated and. My son, he the one the eighteen year old wanted to do college, but he's like, I can't do it online. I yep. just can't. I need to go and be there. I will not be disciplined enough to do it. And I understand that. You I know? agree. And then my our we have a twenty one year old that's working at Starbucks and he brought COVID home. We already had it. <laughs> so, you know It is I mean, a it is a different time and to your insane. to your college point and high school, we have um we have a, a family friend of ours whose daughter just got out of um, mental health facility for similar things and she wants to go back she's recognized that she needs that social involvement that part of hers is that isolation and because of COVID her parents won't let her go she could but the parents are so concerned about it and that's hard I mean I can't imagine what that would be like but she can't she doesn't want to do the online but that's a lot of people don't want to do the online they want to be face to face and in this environment especially if schools aren't doing it like a lot of colleges aren't allowing it but even if there is a choice it's like which one is more important COVID's pretty this is the most deadly disease if you can't socialize that can really impact your mental health which which weighs the other one that's, t- that's being a, t- a tough time to be a parent with those kind of decisions that was our son. Son couldn't do the online. That was it. My daughter, she's doing a hybrid, some online, some on face-to-face. She prefers the face-to-face, but she's suffering through the online stuff. She doesn't like it. Some people can handle it, and I think some people aren't going to be able to. Yeah. And so it's figuring out. Bill, can you touch on a little bit about like a parent that has an older adult child that's maybe um, a total addict? Yeah. And with the boundaries there and 
you know they're living in a world of just addiction takes mm-hmm. over and mm-hmm. you know the parent wants to help mm-hmm. but the child doesn't want help correct and what do you kind of suggest with that so two things one if they're in your home definitely you have to escalate those boundaries really really quickly meaning you can't have that stuff in your household and I don't mean just the illegal drugs even if it's the alcohol kind you just don't know what kind of damage and so you want to kind of somewhere create that boundary if you can't do that here or you know if you want to live with us you're gonna have to go to treatments one or the other so the boundaries escalate really really quickly if they're on your home if they're outside of your home the boundaries escalate quickly but you only have that leverage usually it's finances I can't financially support you if you're going to continue to use whatever it is. Boundaries are just that. They're just healthy lines for us. Like, I can't live with this. So you've got to figure out what you can't live with and draw that line. What if you don't even have a financial That's the most difficult one. The most difficult one because really the only leverage you have is the emotional um, or the um, talking to them. Like if they're not in your home, there's no financial ties, then all you have is that relationship. And so sometimes like um, we had a a gentleman whose daughter said, if you don't go get help, I'm not gonna be in your life. You're not gonna be in your grandkids' life. So it may be lines like that say, hey, but mine is like, hey, if you're gonna continue to use, you can't come over to our house using, those kind of things, there's not, it, there starts to give you a point where you just don't have a lot of leverage. If you ever want, it's, if you ever want help, let me know and I'll help you. But whatever that line is for you to keep that distance. But ultimately, if they're an adult, you can't make them get help. It's the hard, the, the other thing it's is. Hard, it's hard to disengage because they have two and they're both married and they both have children mm-hmm. and they're both well, yeah, so we have grandchildren involved one thing I thought about I can talk about that yeah, one thing I thought about recently because I heard something <coughs> earlier was that kids um, they trust you more when you're honest with them and they were saying the importance of honesty and I was thinking of it as a grandparent if, if the grandchild says to me you know I don't know why daddy is so acting so bad or something, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe, maybe I need to say, you know, well, you know, they're drinking too much alcohol. It's the, it's the alcohol that's doing it. And go ahead and be clear. Don't make it into a big scene, but just be clear. And let the son know, you know, I've had to, I've had to have that conversation with them. I'm not going to cover up for you uh, to these little ones. And act like that's normal. One, I definitely don't think you act like things are normal when they're not normal. I don't know how much you disclose. I don't know the ages, so I don't want to get into a lot of the details. But you you don't want to act like everything's hunky dory. Um, you know, depending on how old they are. The other thing, and and I know these are hard lines. It's like if someone's in your household and you're saying, "Hey, to live here, you can't use," or "Hey, if you need our financial resources, you can't do whatever." There's a couple options. One is, if it's that severe in the household, you can always report. And that's the fear, is the fear is that you're gonna lose the kids. That may or may not be the case. DFACS does not remove as many kids as you think. They do remove, 
let's not let's not kid ourselves they do remove but that's a boundary because again what you what you're having to move to is you're no longer protecting your kids you're protecting your grandkids and what's the best thing for them is that their parents get help well you can't make them get help but you can draw to someone's attention who could force them we have a lot of people who have done that where defects involvement has forced them to do something different so that's always a tactic because you want to save those kids I'm not saying you should I'm not telling you have to I'm saying it's an option and it's maybe ones that you want to explore the other thing is exactly like that it's like if it's that painful for you to be involved and watch them is you have to tell your parents that like I can't participate because it's too painful to see what you're doing to our grandkids here's my lines here's where I will help here's where I don't I won't help I'm not going to give you any money but I'll pay for the grandkids for this but I'm not giving you a penny but if they need something I'll pay directly for whatever that is I'm gonna help the grandkids but I'm not helping you or however that may be I'd love to see the grandkids you can't come over but you can bring them over and we'll keep them because we love them we love you but we can't support what you're doing your behavior so there's a couple different options but you may want to think about that one it's not a fun one but again as the disease progresses it gets more serious and then you got kids involved and it's pretty serious you have to to resort to some serious boundaries so think about it I'm not telling you to do it I think you need to have a support and talk about it and figure out what your next step you're in a very difficult position I feel for you especially with grandkids you're not alone there's a bunch of other people have had the same thing as like how do I get my kids to get help so that my grandkids can stop suffering you're not alone that happens often very difficult a couple more minutes. any last questions I, I really hope this has been helpful because I really just wanted to kind of share perspectives and insights and give maybe a different um, perspective uh, remember our workshop if you need any help I think it may be worth an opportunity to come there We've been. oh have you very good uh, so it sounds like you're still struggling I know it can be a hard hard position so um, and again if you just think about how, what are some ways that you can move in the direction of of being more supportive keeping the boundaries doing the best you can and like fair said kind of letting go and really letting God I think that was the trick for us is we keep constantly praying and knowing that God has God has my kids like I'm done doing everything I can do God has them now I'm just kind of being a support as best I can and letting God do the rest so that's where we're at so thank you all for having me I really appreciate it really appreciate it thank you